0: Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Welcome back, Adorned Women. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week's guest is Allison Chirume. Listen, I love sharing the stories of all kinds of women, not just those who have careers in ministry or missions, because we're not all called to ministry and missions. God can lead anyone, anywhere, into His work for the sake of His kingdom. However, there is something undeniably powerful about listening to the stories of those who have lived out a very tangible journey of following Christ onto the front lines, and even into enemy territory to carry out his work. And God has certainly given Allison that privilege. Allison grew up in Colorado in the U.S., but after visiting Africa on a mission trip, she knew that's where God wanted her. She's now been living in Africa for nearly 19 years, and it's there that she met her husband and had her two children. There, she has spent a lot of her time empowering the communities she and her family have been a part of, and with that, she has a particular passion for antenatal care and rescuing abandoned children. In this episode, Allison testifies first to the transformation God produced in her own heart and her own life, and then she goes on to share the transformation He has led her to be a part of in the lives of others. This whole conversation was so powerful for me, but my absolute favorite part was the final story she shared, a picture of how Jesus is rescuing His people from darkness and how He is setting the captives free. It's such a touching story, and it gave me hope. It gave me a renewed commitment to the people God has led me to pour into in my own life, even though it's hard to see how it could ever make a difference. As Allison shared, I was realizing in my own heart, you know what? I don't have to make a difference. God makes the difference. I just have to obey. I hope you enjoy listening in on today's conversation, but more than that, I hope you'll find your heart moved to faith and obedience. You don't have to be on the front lines to be a part of what God is doing. But you do have to make the decision. Are you going to give it all to him? I hope you will. Enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk to you. This is my first time meeting you. So I'm excited to get to know you a little bit and hear some of your story. Uh, but you're in Zimbabwe, right? Yes. Have you been there for the full Covid duration, or did you come back to the U.S. at some point?
1: We came back to the U.S. in May and June and July of
0: 2021. Okay. Okay, so you've been back for almost a year, then.
1: Yeah, actually. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. This yeah. year has felt like it felt like it just became 2022, and now it's already. We're so far into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about Zimbabwe. Tell me a little bit about where you live. What's it like? What do you like there? What do you not like there?
1: Yeah. So, Zimbabwe is a sub-Saharan, southern African country. Um, It is predominantly Christian. It is a third-world country. Um, They struggle with um, politics with leadership. Um, Things that we find difficult living in Zim are things like electricity, um, consistently running water, access to healthcare, um, children struggle with government education, um, basic medicines are hard to source, um, and monthly wages are the bare minimum. Um, So it's a a country that operates out of poverty, um, but you also have the flip side where Zimbabwe has gold and minerals. And so you have an elite group of people who do really, really well financially. Um, So they import cars from the UK and from the US and they live extravagant lives and they have housekeepers and they have two, three, four houses and they're double story houses. Um, So there's a huge gap between um the different groups of people here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting dynamic here in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe used to be the breadbasket of Africa. And in the 70s and in the, the 80s, it was it was the country that was the place to be in Africa. They supplied other countries, they supplied Europe, they supplied um, South America with grains. They are a very, very um, soil-rich country. Um, They had amazing mangoes, fruits, vegetables, grains, um, and things have just plummeted severely. A lot of people blame the government. A lot of people blame poor stewardship. And a lack of pride in taking care of things. Um, So there's a generation of people that are grieved because the Zimbabwe is not the same Zimbabwe that they used to know and love. Um, But there's been an exodus of trained people, professional people that have left because life is so hard here. So you go to the UK, Australia, the States, South Africa, Botswana... And some of the best doctors are Zimbabweans. Some of the best professors in universities are Zimbabweans. They've left Zimbabwe, and you can imagine what that's done on the economy because they've left the country. Um, so yeah, it's it has it's multi many layers to this um, economy and to this culture of people, um, an extremely strong and resilient people there's a saying here that Zimbabweans make a plan. They will always make a plan. If something breaks or goes wrong or they don't have something, they will make a plan to make sure that they can jimmy rig it or come up with it or adapt. Um, And that's something very beautiful about the Zimbabwean people. Um, They have a hope. They're always hopeful. They are so hopeful that the next month or the next season or the next elections will bring change there are people that still hang on to a lot of hope.
0: Well, I love how much you, how much you just know the people and know the country. Um, and we'll get into a little bit about your experience, how you ended up there, and how you've um, sort of grown into life there. But can, can I just get a quick picture of how, how do you spend your days right now? Um, what kind of activities do you do, whether work or just relaxing or family? What kind of things do you um, spend your days doing?
1: Okay. So a typical day or week for me, I'm a mom first. um, And so I have two little kids that keep me busy. They go to a private um, little country school. And so we, I also teach there. I teach at the preschool. Um, I consider that a ministry of mine. Um, So we go to school together and then I stay there and I, do work with the preschool. I'm in charge of the preschool. And then in the afternoon, I do work with the seniors, um, the older girls and older boys at the school in the afternoons. And then the kids and I drive back and then we carry on with dinner and baths and routine and stories in bedtime. Um, The weekends or during school holidays, um, we do work in the community. So my husband my kids and I were very missional. So our desire is to share Jesus with everyone every day. So whether that's at school um, or for my husband, if it's when he's in community, as well as doing business, um, always trying to point people to Jesus. But there's a very big holistic need as well, physical need. And so we try and meet that need as well. So there's at our gate um, where we stay, um, we're kind of like a beacon in the community. So we often have people coming to our house looking for either small pieces of work that they can do to raise just a few dollars to go and buy medicines, or um, if we have full-time employment, or if we have baby clothes, or if we have anything, uh, medicines, um, that can assist them with, because there's a huge practical need here as well. I also do um, work in the community, counseling young pregnant girls. So that carried on through COVID. Um, I had to get creative. So I did, I've been doing some on WhatsApp. Um, It's a form of communication with people and it's very, very cheap here. It's the main source of social networking and communicating here. So um, I do counseling, it's basically antenatal counseling with young girls and walk them through their pregnancy journey. Um, I had been working at a hospital in Harare doing this. So at the gynecologist at her clinic, um, every woman that was pregnant had to see me um, and I would do counseling with her. So the basics of um, conception to um, eating healthy when you're pregnant to the stages of pregnancy to the signs and stages of labor and delivery, breastfeeding, infant care, as well as mental health for the new mom. Um, and I find a lot of joy in that. That's very fulfilling for me. And so I'm, I'm super happy when I get to be a part of that and do more of that. i active in the community, um, Bible studies and putting on ladies' teas, speaking, and um, So quite busy in terms of ministry, uh, but we try not to have a difference between ministry and home life. It all merges together. Um, So that kind of is a day in the life of Allison, and then we always fit in a swim. It's Mm -hmm. very hot here, and we have we my husband built a swimming pool, and my kids are very good at swimming, and I teach swim lessons, so we always find a way to have a quick jump in the pool. And that's been a really, that's been really good for the kids, a, a way of just expressing their freedom and their confidence and cooling down and being physically active as well. So a bit of fun in there as well.
0: Yeah, that is, that's a lot, first of all. <laughs> but I think that's so incredible. And I can't wait to get into how you ended up in this stuff. And I'm sure we won't be able to touch on all of it. But um, a quick question before we get into that. Um, how did you meet your husband? and Where is he from?
1: My husband is Zimbabwean. So we both were doing missions with all nations in Cape Town, South Africa. So he had moved there before me and he had been doing some, actually doing business. He moved there for business and it was before he was a follower of Jesus. I had gone there because I had been living in Mozambique and had visa issues. So I went to South Africa and um, was doing some work with all nations there He gets saved, meets Jesus, joins this missions organization, and we basically like house church. We're like living life together, having house church together. We know all the same people. We're seeing each other and kind of started to develop feelings for each other. And he asked me out on a date and I said, we can go, but it's not a date and I'm going to pay for myself. (laughs) Miss Independence and we get to the restaurant and I go to pay and I left my wallet at home. So he had to pay. Um, so that was our first date. And yeah, the rest is history. We dated and then we came back to the states and got married in Colorado. And then we moved back to Cape Town and felt the Lord stirring something in our hearts for Kadoma, which is his hometown, which is in Zimbabwe. So we came on a scouting trip. And just really felt that everyone our age was leaving Zimbabwe and that there was such a ripe environment for planting seeds of hope, spiritual seeds of hope um, for, you know, the hope of Jesus. And so we started, we built a house and moved out here and we moved out here when our daughter was one month old, no, three months old. So that would have been in two thousand in January of two thousand fifteen. So we've been out here ever since.
0: Hm. Wow. So take me back if you could and um, you know, touch on anything you want to. But kinda of what has made you who you are today? How did you meet God? How did you get into um, I'm I mean how did you decide to go to Africa how did you get into uh, prenatal care like all these things what made you who you are when did that happen
1: well that's a big question <laughs> um, so I grew up in Colorado um, I grew up in Arvada and I had a loving mom and dad um, they didn't do anything wrong in the sense that they tried everything we went to a Christian school me and my two younger sisters uh, we were safe, we were, our needs were met, we were taken care of, but um, I, when I was in high school, I developed uh, an eating disorder, and even though I was on student body leadership boards and I was spiritual chair of the school and all these things, I was leader in the youth ministry that were still a part of me, uh, that secret, that secret thing. So I could be who I, who I needed to be in front of people, but secretly. And I carried on doing that for years, um, and eventually I got to the point where um, I, I needed to get some pretty serious medical help. And I remember one of the doctors saying to me, um, "You are—you'll never be able to have children at this point because you've destroyed your body so badly." Uh, and that was a real wake-up call for me. Um, and so I decided right then it was. February 1st, that I was going to stop. And every February 1st, I actually celebrate my recovery because that's when I decided, I said I'm not going to do this anymore. And um, then began the real battle. Because once you come out of an addiction, because an eating disorder is an addiction, once you decide to actively stop um, any kind of addiction, walking it out is the hardest. It's so much easier to be in it. But once you start fighting it and try and get sober and try and get straight, uh, it's that's when it's hard. And I had some girl, some friends, some friends that are girls, and they told me the only way the verse in Psalms about your word brings health and nourishment to my bones, life to my bones. And I knew that the only way I was going to get through this because I had seen counselors, psychologists, um, specialists um, was gonna be if I pressed into the Lord and believed in his word and I did and so we wrote out scripture cards and each index card had a different scripture on it and every time I felt like vomiting every time I felt like binging, every time I felt like running or getting up in the middle of the night and doing exercises I would claim those I would read those scriptures and I didn't believe it at first but I knew I had hoped that they would settle in my spirit to the point where I would then find myself just saying it in my mind because I had now memorized them. And then it became that I was now fighting with those. So I was fighting those demons or I was fighting that part of my heart that wanted to do that until the point where it lost its voice over me. Um, And so for me, that was really significant. I saw the power of the word and I experienced healing and I experienced freedom. And I literally felt that I had chains on me. I could feel them, I could see them. They were heavy, heavy chains. And I saw them, I felt them removed and and I don't feel them anymore. And it was kind of like if I've had this experience, why would I not tell people? Like so many people are going around with broken hearts and addictions and issues. And why are we just carrying on like like, we don't know the answer. (laughs) It was very black and white for me. So um, I started going on missions trips in high school. And it was just the summer missions trips to Kansas or downtown Denver. And then um, in between my junior and senior year, there was an opportunity to go to Mozambique. And I didn't know where Mozambique was, except it was in Africa. And it was going to cost something like $3,000. And it was the whole summer. And I showed my mom and dad. I wanted to go because everyone thought I couldn't make it. So I showed my mom and dad and my mom, my mom said, if you can raise the money, then you can go because she didn't think I would. And I babysat as much as I could and I raised the money and I went and it drastically changed my life. So people say that, that they go to change Africa, but Africa changes you and you. I left a piece of my heart in Africa that year, um, the summer of 2002. And it's ever since then, I just keep coming back and coming back and and so on. So that was my, the beginning of Africa. I had applied to be on, we had gone to an orphanage and then we applied to stay and be on staff. So we were um, at an orphanage, Heidi Baker's orphanage in the south of Mozambique. And we were there for a while. And then we, I joined All Nations and carried on with some a lovely family um, who was also All Nations missionaries. And so we did baby houses. So there would be babies that would be abandoned or trying traffic through the border. And then the police would catch them. And then there'd be nobody knows who the mom and dad are. AIDS orphans. Um, lots of various things. And so we would buy a house and then employ these um, Mozambican aunties or grannies to run the house. And then we would help them and empower them to run the house um, with like, you know, eight, nine, ten kids in a house and and carry on doing that as well as Bible studies and job creations for these single moms. So that was quite powerful. And then I moved to Cape Town because of visa issues and joined Baby Safe. Um, with all nations and baby safe is um, I did baby safe for seven, eight years. Baby safe is an incredible, uh, was an incredible thing. It um, babies are being dumped in South Africa with the hope of not being found. Moms are dumping them um, in trash bins, down holes, in the bush, um, in wetlands, um, not with the purpose of wanting them to be found, not like at a hospital or something. And the president declared it a crisis. So my my dear friend, Bethany, she's now Bethany Arndt, she had engineered and come up with a baby safe Dropbox. And so what we did is we um, networked with police Uh, social services churches and adoption agencies and was about the size of a microwave um, a little bit bigger inside and we would install it into a door or a wall or somewhere and it had a door that opened like a microwave and it had a mattress with a computer sensor so someone could come and anonymously put the baby on the mattress as soon as the doors closed it would start making phone calls Um, And we would go and pick up the baby and then work with social services and the police and so on. Not that we wanted to encourage baby dumping at all or baby abandonment, but it was happening and we needed to intervene. So we like to think that it served as a a beacon of light because we were in the community trying to prevent baby dumping. So job training skills, um, mothering classes, um, antenatal care, abortion counseling, um, lots and lots of things in the community as well as working with abandoned babies abandoned abused and neglected babies and that's where my love and my desire came because i saw so many moms struggling and it was like now that i'm a mom i see that it's it's one of the loneliest things even though you have these little people that are attached to you all the time it can be quite lonely because the conversation is very different it's don't do that. Do you want a snack? Do you need to go to the doctor? do you need to go pee pee? It's a very different conversation than it's not like fulfilling, and it's a it's a hard season, and you get irritated and you get frustrated, and you know even more challenging if there's postnatal depression, which is what I suffered with with my second. So I really really felt that there was a huge need and. And a sort of redemption, because I was told that I would never have kids, and I did. Um, And sort of a redemption of God's story of now going and empowering and helping. Um, So yeah, that's where my my heart lies in all of that.
0: Yeah, I love how that passion was developed in you. And now you found, um, well, I mean, all along the way, such powerful ways to um, utilize that. I'm curious to hear kind of the God side of things, obviously you love Jesus and you've been referencing your ministry and how you, um, how you try to share Christ every day. Um, how has God led you through each of these steps of your life? Um, you know, what has your relationship with him really looked like? So
1: I grew up in the church and around everything that had to do with Jesus, um, But I made a decision to start living for Jesus um, the day after Columbine. So when Columbine happened, I was in eighth grade. And obviously, there was a lot of hype and hysteria surrounding it the first day that it happened. The next day, we had an assembly at school. And I remember the principal saying that there was a young girl that had been shot in the library or in the school, rather. And it was because she had been asked, do you believe in God? and she said yes and because she said yes that's why they pulled the trigger so I remember him saying to all of us you know do you is that something that you could do and I remember thinking no that's not something that I would do and it bothered me so I went home and I thought about it and the next time that we had chapel or assembly I I remember saying I I'm willing to die for you Lord but more importantly, like I'm willing to live for you. And so it was since that, that was the 20th, I believe it was the 21st or the 22nd of April of my eighth grade year that I decided that I was going to live for God. So he's been so gracious to me. He's revealed himself in incredible ways. And I'm, I'm really humbled because I read his word and it may, I I asked the Holy Spirit to help me make sense of it. And um, I think that's another thing is the Holy Spirit is quite active in my life. I I want him to be a big part of my life, the Holy Spirit. And so when I have my quiet times, I ask, I always say to the Lord, what is it that you're busy doing and how do you want me to be a part of it? Um, And trying to be sensitive and tender to his voice and his leading throughout the day. And a lot of times I, I catch myself wanting to go this way or to say this, and then I'm I'm quieted. And I believe that that's his prompting and his leading. Or he'll encourage me to go to this person or to go this way and to do this. And again, I believe that it's his leading. And so for me, it's it's like a partnership. It's a leading. It's, it's out of John the abiding, um, trying to maintain a lifestyle of abiding where the Holy Spirit and the Lord feel welcomed and honored and appreciated and valued in my life because I'm giving them the space in the platform and the praise that they deserve, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So take me to, I guess, whatever was the probably most drastic adjustment period. I don't know if that would have been the first trip to Mozambique or whether it's a, a different point in your journey, but, um, take me to one of those adjustment periods and can you describe kind of what kind of hardship that was and how God helped you through that period?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking of a couple, so I'm just trying to think (laughs) which one to say. Um, I, when I moved to South Africa, Um, I was asked to be, to help do baby Safe in a particular community called Masipumalele. And I started doing ministry there, but I was always seeing these other girls and these other girls, they looked different. So in South Africa, there's kind of three, South Africa is amazing. They have multiple, multiple people and they're considered the rainbow nation for a reason. But there's three main people groups in the peninsula, where the southern peninsula where we are. There's the white, whether they're Afrikaans or English, um, and then there's the colored, which is a people group. Um, and then there's the, the black, the Ubuntu people. And I had Masipumalili uh, is, is black, predominant is yeah, predominantly black. So that's going to be black South Africans. So Kosa, um, Zulu, it's going to be Malawians, Mozambicans. And then there was this other colored community. And I I found that there wasn't a lot of people talking about this colored community. I found these girls on the side of the road, hitchhiking everywhere. They had their babies. They looked really disheveled, really thin and skinny. And they kept catching my eye. And so I just asked the Holy Spirit, like, what do I do? And then one day I picked one of them up and it started this huge, huge open door for ministry. And the girl was prostituting. And what they do is they stand on the road and they go to the robot, the traffic lights, and they hitchhike. And if a female picks them up, then they tell a sob story and they want money to buy drugs. And if a male picks them up, then something else happens. And I developed this, this friendship with her. And she ended up being what the Bible talks about, the person of peace. You meet somebody, the person of peace then invites you into their, what they call their oikos or their, their group of friends, their family. And because you have favor with them, the community accepts you. And that's what she was. Um, And so I had a huge open door with her and, and that started a huge ministry, but that transition, I'm going to talk about it because it was a dangerous transition it, and I think that that's sometimes how faith is. It's not always, like, comfortable, right? And transitions and change isn't always comfortable. And it might not even be what everyone else is doing. But if you know that the Holy Spirit or the Lord is leading you, when your heart is compelled and you have empathy and you're stirred towards that. Those are all promptings by the Holy Spirit and by the Lord. And so we have to follow that. And so that's why my walk with the Holy Spirit became so important because I needed. it. It says that you'll, you'll walk in your, you will hear a voice say, this is the way I walk in it. And your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You get to the point where you, you have to cling onto those verses and you have to say, okay, like, leave me, Lord. And these girls were prostitutes. They were drug addicts. They were addicted to methamphetamine and their boyfriends were in charge of the gangs and the money flow in the community. Um, And so it was a balance of having favor with them and being allowed into their inner circles, but being wise, you know, and having boundaries and having a team that was covering me in prayer and supporting me and knew where I was at and I didn't go alone and so on. And so that was an interesting transition because I had never been, ministry had always been so safe and comfy, you know, had been at an orphanage or had been on a compound or had been. And yet when we serve a big God, we have, there's a time where we have to go into the darkness to get to the ones who are literally being swept down by the river and, um, cause these girls were never going to come to church. These girls were never going to step foot into any type of ministry setting because they knew that people talked bad about them. There's slang words for them and to have open doors to then go and do ministry with them and build friendships and plant seeds and fight for them through intercession and go to their prison, to their prison hearings and, pick up their babies after they had just abused them. And these types of things, it, it was, it was a huge transition, but it was, it was amazing. And the Lord was so incredibly faithful to his word. I'm telling you, when you pray his word into a situation, he, 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 he comes through and it might not be that month. It might not even be. And that was in 2009, 2010, 2011. And here it is, 2022, and those most of those girls still message me. They all have gotten off of the drug. They're all with different boyfriends. One of them actually got saved with her boyfriend. Um, they've all had healthy pregnancies. They all are holding jobs, like at a bakery or cleaning or doing something. And I'm just so encouraged by by the Lord's faithfulness to answer prayers when we sow seeds because he part it is, it's about partnering with him. Um, So that was a transition that um, was slightly dangerous in a way, but it was, it had to be done. It was, it was the leading of the Holy spirit that I, that I had to listen very carefully to. Yeah.
0: I'm glad you brought that up and shared that kind of story. I would love to hear, Do you have any stories uh, with any particular girls that really touched your heart and impacted you in a big way? Yeah.
1: Um, So I'll I'll tell you, there was a family of girls, um, three girls, and in this particular colored community. And um, their surname, ironically, um, was... really derogatory slang surname uh surname sorry last name and these girls I noticed kept being out on the street and one of them in particular the eldest one um had a a teeny tiny baby like a newborn with her and one day the the police phoned me and said listen we're taking this girl to Jail, We're locking her up, um, but we need somewhere to put this baby. So we were registered, a registered safe haven. Um, and I was registered with social services so I could like foster that baby. So I took her in and I fostered her. So the mom had been on methamphetamines and she had gone, she had some psychotic episodes. And so she, she was clearly demon possessed, very, very clearly demon possessed, her sister had stabbed her and had stabbed her in the throat, so her vocal cords had been severed. So when she talked, she talked as if she was a demon. It was, it was quite shocking. Um, and now I have her baby, and now she's on her way to prison. And there was a collaboration between some of the people in the police department, um, just like in the movies. There's collaboration, so you get arrested, but you do a favor for me, I get you out, and that kind of thing. So this girl kept getting out, and she kept looking for her baby, and unfortunately, she was extremely abusive to her own child. I think that she saw the baby's father in the face of the baby, and there was a lot of hurt and rejection there, and so she took it out on the baby. So the baby hid with me quite often. So I would get phone calls from her from different numbers. Where are you? I'm looking for you. She would barge into supermarkets and churches looking for me. She would write very obscene and obscure letters and leave them at different places that had my name on it. But I was filled with so much compassion for her. She, I, I read the story of the man that had the legion of demons in him. And I felt so, the one that kept throwing himself into the fire. And I, I felt so compelled because I felt that that's what she had. She had these demons in her through her own open doors, her own traumas, her own experiences, and her own doings. Um, that had just created this perfect storm for this environment of just torture. She was tortured. And so there was an element of trying to keep her baby safe. And there was an element of trying to minister to her. So every time she sobered up in prison, she would phone me um, because she knew that I I would tell her all the time, I I love you. And this is not who you're meant to be. You're meant to be, someone great and beautiful and strong and you can beat this and you can get out of this addiction so that was a long journey there and um, the police would tell me all the time you're wasting your time this is the worst girl in all of that actually a local news station actually did a documentary on nightlife on the streets and she was featured because she was known as one of the most notorious prostitutes in that entire area So there would be times where I would release the baby back to the grandmother and then mom would come out and grab the baby and then leave for a few days and the baby would come back and had been abused and so on. And my heart was so compelled for this baby. And so lots and lots of intercession, prayer, fasting went into this girl, this woman and her baby. And the Lord gave me the verse in Isaiah about the oaks of righteousness planted and displayed for his beauty. And I kept hearing that she was to be an oak of righteousness. And I kept thinking, how is this ever going to happen? Everyone in the community just thinks that she's awful. Even herself, like, man, there's times that I'm like, are you serious, Lord? She had spit at me. She'd thrown bricks at my car. She'd swore at me. She'd written awful letters about me. But I think you get to a point where you're able to see that we don't fight We don't fight things in the physical realm. Like our battle is spiritual, right? And he came to set the captives free. And if we're an extension of him and we're going to set these captives free with with him and partner with him, we have to go to where the captives are. And captives are not pretty well put together, you know, well-spoken people. So then I get introduced to her sisters. So now she has two sisters and they're almost exactly the same. Um, And so it became this family of girls, and I was at their house all the time, all the time, all the time, trying to, what I would do is I would take Bible verses, and instead of taking the Bible to them, because they would just switch off, I would write them on an index card, and we would call it poetry. It was was heavenly inspired poetry. So then we would look at a verse at a time. So I particularly like Psalms. And so we would look at it and there was one verse and I would sometimes do out of the message. And there was one verse about um, the course of death entangled me. um, But you picked me up out of the, the, um, the, the gutter and you set my feet on dry ground. So what they would do is they would take that cart and they would fold it and then they would put it inside of their bra and they would keep it there. And then they would take it out and they would look at it and then they would put it back. And um, it was quite powerful. So it was sowing seeds. I mean, they had that scripture right next to their heart. Um, and I'm I'm happy to say that she's one of the girls that messages me. Her and her sisters. There are some of the girls that message me, and they have jobs and they're off of drugs and they're going to church. And um, her little girl has is she's about twelve now, and um, she is one of the best academic little girls in the school and she gets awards and she passes and she does well. And it's such a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness. And I do believe that he can break, he has the power to break generational curses. I don't believe at all that that little girl is going to follow in her mom's footsteps. Not for one second. Do I believe that? Because I believe that the Lord highlighted specific things and we prayed them over her and we broke them over her. And every time she was in my care, she was just saturated with worship and with encouragement and um, positive affirmation and, you know, health and cleanliness and so on. So that's a family that will forever stay in my heart. Um, A very special family, yeah.
0: That is so sweet. That's such a sweet story and was really touching. Yeah. I can't imagine actually living that out. For years and years, right? You met this young girl, and she's mm-hmm. just a baby, the the daughter, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So years of pouring into these girls. Mm-hmm. That's and God, God was the one who did it. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, uh, I can't imagine anybody hearing that story and thinking anything other than God did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were so faithful to go where you were sent and believe when it didn't seem believable. Um, yeah, that's just a powerful story, and I would love, I would love to hear from that girl. And, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can set up, see if we can have her share her testimony or something. Oh gosh, that would be awesome. (laughs) But, um, yeah, we'll have to wrap it up here, but the last kind of topic I want to talk about is just your perception and experience of the church, um, where you're at. Um, I would love to kind of share just different perspectives across the globe of the church in your area. So for you, what, what are you seeing in the church in Zimbabwe and in, in Africa?
1: So church in Africa is a culture. Um, there's a lack of mature believers. There's a lack of, of people who love Jesus, obey him, read the word for themselves, and go and tell others. Um, and that is, that's the characteristics of a healthy believer, Um, of a a healthy Jesus follower, of a healthy church. Um, And it is being done in more house church type things. There's a huge movement of house churches taking place with local leaders. And it basically is straight out of Luke. Like you go in two by two, you meet, you talk about the church in Acts, you break bread together, you pray together, you worship together, and then you go and you tell others and so on. And doing it that way, specifically by some of our all nations team members, um, it's it's spreading quite fast because I think that's what people want. They want to be able to read the Bible for themselves and they want to be changed and they want to see other people being changed because there's a misconception here that it has to be from a prophet Or a pastor or a man of God. And they've idolized this man of God or this prophet or this pastor. And it's so unhealthy. And they'll these men of God, these pastors drive really nice cars and they travel and they charge you money to have an experience with them. And you have to buy their holy water and you have to buy their bracelets and you have to buy their CDs and you have to sow seeds of faith, which are bricks for their house. And it's really, um, it's really, really, really unhealthy. And it's really um, not good. And unfortunately, that is rampant in Africa. And so you'll see stadiums sold out for crusades um, because of this prophet or this man of God. Um, And my husband and I are always, always encouraging people, you have access to Jesus yourself. You do not have to go to a pastor, like a not a pastor, a a prophet. I'm talking about a specific kind of a person who is a self-proclaimed man of God. A self-proclaimed has like, they live luxurious lifestyles. Um, And they seem to think that they're the only ones that can hear God on your behalf. But you have to pay them in order to do so. Or you have to sow a seed of faith in order to receive the blessing of their prayer. Um, and it's just, it's rubbish. And so we're always encouraging people to read the Bible for themselves, that they can hear Jesus' his voice for themselves, and to go and tell others to obey what they read. Obey what you read in the Word. Um, and biblical principles like um, sharing and giving and tithing and blessing, things that are not talked about. Um, because when you live in a society where it's predominantly full of poverty, no, if you make $5 a day, no one wants to give their tithe, you know, um, but the biblical principle and seeing the Lord bless that person for that little bit that they do give, um, has been so fun to watch and to see and be a part of. So People as individuals are super hungry for Jesus. They're they're hungry to know him as a person and to have a relationship with him. And there's a desire to obey, but there's this really fake culture of um, you have to go to the prophet and the prophet will pray for you. And if you're sick, you have to go and buy this. These rocks from this man of God, and he blesses the rocks. And then you go and you put them on each corner of your house, and it will keep the ancestral spirit, the angry ancestors, and the angry spirits out. Um, Or after your father died, you didn't go and sort out his clothes properly. And so his spirit is angry at you, and that's why you have bad luck. So it's a lot of like um, spirit belief mixed in with like Christianity um and so we always try and just debunk that and encourage people go straight back to the word what does the word say even today i was doing a bible study with some of the the girls at the high school and some of the things that they were saying were really strange about oh but the prophet said if you sprinkle salt it will keep the demons away it'll keep the demons away and i said okay um Like, let's look in, let's look in scripture because we want to become young ladies that don't get swayed by what anyone says, but are strong on what the Bible says, because that's the truth and that's the plumb line. Um, And so it's, it's that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a, a real weakness for that.
0: So what, what is your prayer? Um, as of this week, today, what's your prayer for your country, uh, your family, and and what you need right now?
1: My prayer for the country, specifically, is change in government. Um, we need change in government, and we need it now. Um, yeah, if, you, if anyone just follows the news about what's happening in Zimbabwe, it's the government is, it needs, it needs some change. And there is change waiting. There, there are people that are there, but they're being silent um, silenced. Um, and so elections are in some months' time. And so people are already starting to campaign and it's already getting heated. Um, but we, we cannot have any more rigged elections. We can't have any more front runners being abducted and kidnapped and go missing. Um, People people are hungry for change. Um, So please pray for the elections that are coming to Zimbabwe. For my family, I pray that we would always be a beacon and a light to those around us, um, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that we would give generously of our time, of our knowledge, of our love, Of this this gem of who Jesus is and the hope of His return, that we would share it with others. Um, Yeah, those are my prayers. Yeah.
0: Anything for yourself?
1: More patience, don't we all need more
0: patience? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure with two little kids, plenty of yeah. That you're more patience. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for your time and for sharing um, some of your story and some of, the, some of the encouragements that you've experienced and can pass along. Um, really enjoyed talking to you today, so thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Alicia. What an honor, and yeah, I pray that many are blessed by, by this. Thank you very much for organizing it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at adornedwomen. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.